0: And all honor goes to you. You are the one that's high and lifted up. We seek to do that here in this place. And Lord, today, as, as we wait upon you, we wait, Lord, as, as you help us to understand your word. And even more importantly, Lord, to live it out. Lord, you want the world to know who you are by the way that we and we do this, Lord, because we love you. And we do this, and we love you, Lord, because you've loved us first. You've empowered us to do these things. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit that you'll open up your word to us, help us understand, help us to know you better, help us to love you more as a result. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well it was july nineteen ninety-three. We were in Lynchburg at a Sunday evening service. Do they have Sunday evening services anymore? So Heritage Baptist Church there. It was a commissioning service. I was along with, with my beloved. We were at that point set apart for lifelong service of servant leadership in the Church of Jesus Christ. A few days prior to this, I was absolutely grilled by a council of pastors and theologians and highly respected church leaders about my life and what I believe. At one point in this very extremely stressful experience, the leader of the ordination council cast doubt on whether I should even be uh, admitted to the gospel ministry. It took someone else on the council to convince him that the view I held was indeed a viable, valid scriptural uh, opinion and, and position. And I was very relieved when the leader actually agreed with the other council member. And by the mercy of God, I passed muster with the council, one of the more difficult three hours I've ever had to go through in my life. The evening service a few days later was deeply moving. And at one point, Kitty and I knelt along with a couple of other couples. The leadership laid their hands on us. We were recognized by God's people to do God's work as leaders in God's church. I was commissioned to the gospel ministry. And for me, with Kitty's vital support, that ministry was the Air Force chaplaincy. And in fact, we were missionaries sent all around the world at Uncle Sam's expense, thanks to your tax dollars and mine. And that experience that evening was one that went straight to my own heart, to the core of my being. Today we look back on another commissioning, which carries so much more significance than the one in July 1993. This commissioning service was in two parts, both private and public. And I'm going to mention the public part just briefly, but I will zero in on the private one, where God himself commissioned Joshua to perform the task of leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. And unlike my commissioning service, Joshua's had to do with him somehow putting on Moses' sandals to fill Moses' incredibly big shoes. It was indeed Joshua's great commission. In our passage for today, Deuteronomy 31, 14 to 29, it's found on page 192 in your pew Bible if you need that number. We're going to see some profound things. At first glance, it would seem that these things are sort of out of place. And though it gives the words of encouragement to Joshua, the things he hears Yahweh speak to Moses regarding Israel are really hard to take. Great day. His great If you were here last week, you remember we talked about Joshua as a faithful man. Joshua was faithful in that he was careful to carry out the Lord's intentions and not his own. First as commander of the battle between Israel and the Amalekites. And then later on as one of the 12 spies who sought out and, and who scoped out the promised land. Joshua was also available. He made the time. For the things of God. He accompanied Moses halfway up Mount Sinai and stayed there for 40 days, 40 nights without food and without water. During those days, Joshua made himself available to serve his Lord and Moses in obscurity. If you remember last week, initiative was item number three in Joshua's faith profile. He and Caleb took action to help prevent the people very afraid and now violent because they heard 10 scary spy stories. They were in the process of choosing a leader to actually go back to Egypt. T reminds us that Joshua was teachable. And this is especially true regarding his listening to the Lord and applying the lessons he heard from Yahweh. And H stands for Joshua having a real heart for the Lord. Developing his intimacy with Yahweh. He was on the mountain and in the tent of meeting on his face before the Lord. And having been reminded of of Joshua's being a faithful man and that he was handpicked by the Lord himself to take the place of Moses, we will now see Joshua commissioned in verses 14 and 23. And then in verses 15 to 18, we'll hear Josh, hear Moses telling the people of their future, breaking the covenant. This is not a warning. It's a prediction that God's people will turn their collective backs on him over and over in Deuteronomy. And one would think that if the people would have heard the warnings over and over again that they would have heeded those warnings. But as we know, they didn't. But it's not as though the Lord will leave them without a witness regarding their corruption. In verses 19 to 22 and 24 through 29, we're going to discover dangers that the Lord will not approve of Israel's actions toward Yahweh. As I said earlier, the Lord has given all of us the freedom to choose whether to follow Him or to reject Him. This is the dignity given every person. He does not drag us kicking and screaming into a relationship with Him. Do you agree with that? How tragic though it is. That the Lord's people choose to turn away from him in spite of his tender and powerful and sometimes warnings. Well, today's message, though, as you may have guessed, is not filled with a lot of feel-good words (laughs) or a lot of great motivation calling us to a greater and higher level and deeper in God and all those kinds of things. This message reflects where we are all at in various times in our lives as the Lord's disciples. Now, we might be tempted to ask, this is Joshua's commission. What in the world does this have to do with me? The Lord is appointing Joshua to lead. We're not leading the nation of Israel here anyway, right? But let me give you two things. First, life with God's people, whether as leaders or the rank and file, is often messy, isn't it? It's often difficult. It's often painful but we're still family. We do not have the right to choose, and we're not choose our siblings, members in our family. not that right? So, being part of the local assembly is not about experiencing the best programs or youth groups or music for merely to suit our own selves. We're not here for us and to meet our felt needs. For all of us who consider Grace United our home, the Lord ultimately led all of us together that we might evangelize the lost and disciple the saved and live together in love and unity. This is our mandate. The second, as Joshua was commissioned to complete a task in God's world in his day, followers of Jesus are commissioned to the task he gave us in our day. So now let's listen in on the Lord and Moses and Joshua in Joshua's commissioning ceremony in verses 14 and 23. Of our passage, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days are approaching when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went, presented themselves in the tent of meeting, and the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. That's it. No pomp and circumstance. No long drawn out commissioning service in front of man. This was Yahweh's transfer of authority from Moses to Joshua. He definitely had huge shoes to fill. But ultimately, the Lord had prepared Joshua for this moment, for this hour. In a parallel passage in Numbers 27, the Lord gives instructions for the new high priest, Eleazar, To present Joshua in front of the people to publicly set him apart for his new position as the human leader of Israel. So it's not as though there were no public acknowledgments. But the point is, it's the Lord who is in focus. Joshua is merely the servant. It's such a solemn occasion. Moses was the only leader Israel ever had and ever knew. I think sometimes escapes us. Can you imagine what the transfer of leadership must have been like for them if you were kind of in the in the mass gaggle of people? So I can imagine deep emotions for many of them. Perhaps regret with some. You know, how dare I treat Moses the way I treated him, right? How much grief did the entire nation give Moses throughout their four wilderness for Moses? 120 years old, to step aside and make room for Joshua, a man in his 60s. You know, I find it very interesting how the Lord seems to place a priority upon the aged. Abraham and Sarah, 75 and 65, when the Lord called them initially. Isaac was in his 60s when he fathered Jacob and Esau. And there's a reason why the Lord often addresses elders in Scripture. They're the elders, they're the oldest, they're supposedly the one in the community. And I see this is a great encouragement for us at Grace United. See, when we began as Grace United, how many kids do we have running around? A whole lot. I see a couple of grown-up kids over here. And those who have been there with us for a while since the beginning, we have memories of watching grow. But now as we look around, we don't see so many kids in our midst, do we? And sometimes it causes us to have a little bit of an uneasiness here. For after all, we have a shelf life, don't we? Fifty years from now, most of us will have gone on with the Lord, away from here, but we'll be with him. What then will happen to Grace United? Or to any church with only a few or even no young people or youth or even babies? And so many people think, well, you know what? I need to have a strategy. We need to have a strategy. You know, we need to bring the young people in, you know, by hook or by crook or whatever we do, however we get done. Because if we don't have young people, the church is going to die. So we think. But God's strategy seems to focus on elders, the mature. You know, for some strange reason, God's plan for the transfer of authority to the next generation in Israel did not include a young pup with skinny jeans to attract, you know, the Hittites and the Gergeshites. (laughs) <laughs> right? Now we all know that every local assembly has a shelf life as well. Where is it for any local church to have a lifespan of hundreds of years? For reasons known only to the Lord, congregations shut down and other congregations start up. Sometimes a local assembly carries on for many years, and sometimes for only a few years or even less than a year. But the bottom line is that every local assembly belongs to Jesus, right? Belongs to him. He is building his church. And as long as the Lord allows us to race united, regardless of the change in our age demographics, one thing is required, that all of us remain faithful like Joshua was. Let him take care of how long Grace United gets to be Grace United. In the meantime, let's be about evangelizing the lost and deciding to save together in love and unity. Amen? So Joshua has just been committed, or commissioned, I should say. Not committed. Commission. Wonderful, right? And one would think that the Lord would have a few more words to give to Joshua than just be strong and courageous, I'm with you. I can imagine Joshua saying, at least to himself, Lord, I need a master plan here. I need more than this. There's a million people here I have to feed and clothe every day. And then the battle plan to take your people into the land to dispossess these nations. Lord, help me. I need something here. Well, we read here the words that the Lord spoke next. But if we didn't have those words... What do you think the conversation would have been like? What should it have been as it were according to us? What would the Lord have said? But, you know, we don't have to wonder what the Lord said because we have the words in front of us. And how interesting is it that the Lord's words were not directed to Joshua, the one he just gave gave Israel over to. They were directed to Moses, and Joshua heard these words. Verses 16 to 18. Astonishingly, these are the words which predict a horrible future for Israel. The very people Joshua had just been given charge of. What do you think about that if you were Joshua? Tragically, is actually going to break the covenant with their king. And here's what he says. Then this people will rise up and whore after in foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that i have made with them then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and i will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be devoured what would you be thinking if you were joshua and he continues and many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And surely I will hide my face in that day because of all the evil they have done because they have turned to other gods. Now, what must be going on in Moses' heart, in mind? These words for the Lord were like daggers to his heart, I would imagine. All that work. Moses spent one-third of his life serving the Lord and God's people, leading his people, beginning at age 80. Again, there's that aged thing again. And this one failure after another. Let's review a couple of things that occurred on Moses' watch, shall we? Israel possessed a chronic, massive, complaining spirit. And you can forget the golden calf incident and the abject failure surrounding the spy incident Which produced for Israel a four decade delay in taking the land of promise. Not a pristine resume. See, there really was very little for Moses and the Lord to celebrate about regarding how Moses led Israel in the Lord's ways, except for how the Lord or what the Lord did directly, which is always a great thing, right? Moses, the pastor and lawgiver and leader witnessed the Lord's victories that he delivered his people from Egypt. The Lord provided the needs of almost a million people every day and twice on Friday for 40 years. And there were relatively few enemies who attacked Israel, but the ones who did, the Lord wrought the victory, though it was Israel that wielded the sword. And best of all, the Almighty Yahweh, of his faithfulness and his love and his kindness and his mercy, offered a covenant to his Delivered, but often rebellious, stubborn people. So what lesson can we learn here? If we judge Moses' failure or success and how loyal the people he had led for four decades would live their lives, then we would have to conclude something, that Moses failed in his leadership, in a spiritual task. But was Moses a failure? Absolutely not. God prepared Moses for leadership in taking Israel out of Egypt by sending him to the backside of the desert, taking care of stinking sheep for 40 years, right? So one would think that taking care of people would be a bit easier, but not really. It's been said of the Lord's people that he took Israel out of Egypt, but how difficult is it to take Egypt out of Israel? As it was then, so it is now. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness to the domain of darkness. Could it be that we don't realize the absolute authority the Lord has over the domain of darkness? Starting it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Those are good words. Those are good words. A whole movement has been established on those two verses. It's called a purity movement. But I can't tell you how many Christian men, young and old, have stored up these two verses in their hearts and lives and have only very little victory over their thought life. And by the way, it's not just men in lust, right? It's women and gossip, perhaps. Or really, any sin can be inserted here. How many are doing the right things but still ending up sinning? How is that? We're using the Bible. What's the problem? Is the Bible powerless over temptation? Our problem is not the Bible. Our problem is that we've taken the heart out of it. Psalm 119.10, which if you haven't noticed, is between Psalm 119.9 and 11.